Thanks, Ryan. And now let's welcome up Marcellus. And I want a big welcome, not a Ryan welcome. So come on, let's give him a big welcome. Morning, everybody. Uh, my name's Marcellus. Um, no one likes Ryan, do they? We, uh, Ryan used to, no, 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 let me explain before you judge me. Um, Ryan used to be at Heathfield, so every time Ryan does something, he stands at the front and he says, oh, I'm leading the youth here in Lewis, and da-da-da-da-da, you're kind of like, yeah. Oh, well, that's really good for Ryan, it's really good for Lewis, less good for Heathfield. So we, uh, so we, do, we do love Ryan, but we do feel that, you know, that like, when someone good goes, you think, like that other gentleman there, the cool gentleman there, uh, you kind of feel a little bit like, yeah, is that just me? Or is everyone, everyone else is very much like, yeah, all for the kingdom, it doesn't matter, I'm ready to release it all. Is that just me? <laughs> we have, uh, you guys are similar to our church in Heyfield, um, they're sinless as well, and never have any uh, difficulties with uh, heart issues, and I try to appeal to their sense of... Uh, you know, conviction and that, but uh, they give me the same blank looks as well. <laughs> so as you know, as I've said a few times now, my name's Marcellus. Um, I should give you a bit of background. I'm one of the uh, elders at King's Church in Heathfield. Um, I've been full-time eldering there for the last three years. Uh, previous to that, I, uh, I was a policeman uh, in London, which now feels a bit like another life ago. Um, I'm married to Hannah, who's sitting there. Uh, next to Ryan, hopefully Ryan won't attack her after my horrible comments. Uh, I've got three small children who are amazing. Uh, I have a, a boxer dog, which is less amazing. He's very much less amazing. He's in the bad books at the moment due to uh, some toiletry, toiletry issues. Um, and it's a privilege to be here this morning. It's a real privilege to be with you guys. We love Lewis. I actually um, proposed to Hannah on the battlements of, uh, on the tower uh, at Lewis Castle. And that went well. Because she said yes, obviously. Um, uh, and we just, we love being with you guys. We love uh, what Rich and Lally has helped us with as a church. Um, particularly Rich's teaching on preaching. I believe Rich says that I am the best preacher that he's ever heard. Like... Um, <laughs> Somewhere across between um, uh, Spurgeon and Wesley. I think that's what he said. It was either him or my mum that said that. Um, and so it's a real privilege to be with you guys this morning. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to encourage you. Um, I want to encourage you into all that God's got for you and all that he's got for your life. Because God wants to write an amazing story with your lives. Every single person in this room, God wants to write an amazing story with your life. He wants to write and um, he wants to paint an amazing picture with your life. He has plans and purposes for each and every one of you as individuals. And he's got plans and purposes and he wants to paint pictures and draw stories which are beyond your comprehension and bring him amazing glory. But the only way, the only way that we see that happen in our lives is if we surrender to what he wants to do. If we take every part of our life and we lay it before him. So this isn't a passive lay on your back surrender. This is active surrender before Jesus. This is taking our lives and laying it before him. 
So I've got literally one point this morning, and that one point is that Jesus is looking for surrendered people. He's looking for people who are willing to lay down their lives. He's not looking for superstars. He's not looking for really uh, good-looking people. He's not looking for really cool people. He's looking for people who are willing to lay down their lives for him. And the reason he's looking for that is because God came to give us life. Jesus says in John 10, 10, I came to give life and give it in abundance. And so that's the whole point of the storyline of the Bible. That's the whole point of Jesus coming. We were poor and lost without him. And he came and found us and poured his riches and love upon us. That's the whole story. That's the whole storyline of the Bible. You see it happening again and again and again. And the good news about the sto- and the, the good news of the gospel, the storyline of the Bible, is that God has not come to give us just good life, just eternal life, but He has come to give us abundant life now. He has come to pour His love on us, on you as an individual and us as a people, to empower us to live a life that is an amazing adventure with Him. Amen? Hey, yeah, it's good, isn't it? Just the only problem is that that only happens when we surrender our life to Him. Because Jesus comes to give us life. As a gift. And actually, receiving a gift sounds really easy, but it isn't. It's actually quite difficult to receive a gift. To take that gift, to take the glory and the peace and the joy, we must surrender. We must surrender our plans to Him. We must surrender even who we are. Perhaps we've got to surrender knowing the answers to questions about our past. Perhaps, actually, we've got to surrender to just not agreeing with God in the way that he wants us to live our lives. Perhaps we've got to surrender and let go of offense or unforgiveness that, actually, we don't really want to let go of. So, actually, this surrender, this taking the gifts of God is a painful process of us holding up our hands and saying, actually, you're right, God, I am wrong. But it's only as we do that, only as we do that, that we receive all that God has for us. And what we're going to do is we're going to look in our Bibles. It's always good, isn't it, when we look in our Bibles. The other reason the dog was in trouble was uh, he ate my Bible. And uh, working full-time for the church, you feel a little bit weird if you uh, put in a claim for a Bible because it's like you've not had one previously, isn't it? I've been working there three years, and not to have had a Bible in the previous three years would have seemed odd, wouldn't it? Um, So we're going to look in Judges 6, and what we're going to do is we're going to look at how this process plays out with Gideon. Now, I really like Gideon. I really like Gideon, because Gideon is a massive coward. Hands up if you're a massive coward. Oh, you lot are much better than our church. I take it back. No one in my church would have responded to that, and I was getting ready to say, ah, oh, the massive cowards have not put their hands up. But Gideon is an amazing, massive coward. And I, and I love Gideon for it, because there's just a reality about him. There's a, a realness to him. And actually, I think I'm a bit like Gideon. I would definitely be hiding in a cave somewhere. 
And what we're going to see with Gideon is we're going to see how this process works. We're going to see how God takes a man and he helps him to surrender his life. It's like he unpeels his fingers off of his life. And we could look at loads of different people all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we could actually look at some of our heroes in church history. And again and again, you'll see this process of God helping them to surrender their life over to him. But we are going to look at Gideon. And so I'm going to let you know the end of the story because we're not going to do the whole story of Gideon. What happens in the end is that God takes hold of Gideon, this massive coward in a cave, and he, through a series of miracles and amazing events, lets Gideon lead 300 men who destroy a huge Midianite army which are oppressing the people of God. So we're going to start in verse 1, if you want to follow with me. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of a land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand, hand of the Egyptians and I delivered you from the hand of your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave, them, you, you, gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. So we're going to pause there and we're going to see what God does even in this section. So God begins to speak to Gideon, who's uh, hiding in it, who's, uh, oh, he's not been on yet, has he? But Gideon is hiding in a cave. The people of God are hugely oppressed by the Midianites who have come up and ravaged their land. And what God does is he, the, he hears the cries of the people and he introduces himself. So he opens with an introduction. He says, look, I am the one who rescued you. It's never been the other way around. You've never rescued me. I'm the one who won the land that you're living in. I made a home for you and I took you out of slavery. And what's more, guys, you've not listened to me. I've loved you and saved you and given you instructions that you might live a good life in the land, but you've ignored those instructions and you've been, and instead of being faithful to me, you've been unfaithful to me. You think, why does God do that? Is God so eggy that he just, you know, they must know. They must know, mustn't they? They're hiding in caves. They're meant to be the people of God. They're meant to be uh, running the land. They're meant to be in the abundance. And God turns up and he introduces himself. And it's like he just goes through their history again and again and again. And he says, I am God and I did this and I did that. And you think, why does he do that? 
Is he trying to rub it in? It's because we've got to know who God is. You've got to know who God is in order to receive gifts from him. You know, we're only free. We only feel free to receive gifts from people we trust, don't we? Has anyone you don't know ever tried to give you a gift? Hopefully not, because it's creepy, isn't it? Someone tries to give you a gift on the street. Perhaps some of you are, um, I hope you're not, but perhaps some of you are, uh, are waiting for your, uh, you know, you get those emails that say you've got, you've got a huge inheritance. Your name has been randomly selected, not randomly, your great-great-uncle who you do not know about has been selected and has died and he's left you millions and millions of pounds. If you will only click this link and probably put in your bank details, you will receive your amazing inheritance. And we don't click on them, do we? We don't click on them, do we? Surely. (laughs) And we don't click on them because we don't trust the person who's given us a gift. So God introduces himself because we've got to know who he is in order to receive gifts from him. And also to receive gifts from a giver, we've got to know and trust that the giver is good. So what God says is, hey, I'm God and I'm a good gift giver. I give good gifts I brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians. I delivered you from all of your oppressors. I drove them out before you and I gave, them your, gave you their land. I, 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 I. God, you know, you could say God seems a touch self-obsessed in this. I did this. I did that. But he's saying again and again. I am the good gift giver. And if you want to surrender your life to God, if you want to hand your life over to him, you've got to not only know him, but you've got to trust him. Do we trust God this morning as a good gift giver? Do we trust him to surrender our lives over, to surrender our lives over to him? Because if we won't trust him, or if we don't trust him, we can never surrender our lives to him. Bible, the Bible puts it like this, Hebrews 11, verse 6. It says, anyone who comes to me must believe that he, anyone who comes to him, talking about God, must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. He's saying, you've got you've to know that I am the good gift giver you got to know that so that's why he opens with this introduction about i i i i i i i i i i he wants to divorce us from this feeling of us 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 me 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 i did it my way i did it through my own strength and instead he introduces himself as a good gift giver and that's what Jesus does and that's what Jesus is in the New Testament Jesus asks his disciples asks his followers famously he asks who do you say I am 
Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is in your life? Perhaps you're new to church. Perhaps um, you've begin, you're beginning to uh, meet with Jesus through his word, through the Bible, through the things he says, through his followers, through experiences of his Holy Spirit. And it all leads to this one question. Who do you say Jesus is? Is he the good gift giver or is he a nice guy? Is he someone that you can trust with your life, that you can surrender your life over to, or is he just a nice guy? And the question, perhaps you've been in church for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, the question continues the same. The context changes. Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is when you're busy? Who do you say Jesus is uh, when you're hurting financially, when you're hurting emotionally, when your marriage is difficult? When circumstances come in, who do you say Jesus is? And the invitation is to know him better. The invitation is to trust him more and surrender more and more that he might pour his love and the life that he promises into our lives. So let's pick up with Gideon. It's all very light so far, but God slightly switches it up here on Paul Gideon. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Joash the Abazarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all these wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, if now I found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. So everything's been going fine. All that God's done so far is he's established that he's a good gift giver, which we're all okay with, aren't we? We like the idea of that. God is a good gift giver. But that's like stage one. That's like a building block. And God goes and ruins it all by making it a bit personal. It's okay. Most stuff God does, we're okay with as long as it's out there and it doesn't touch us. Or it doesn't mean we have to do or say or change anything. That's right, isn't it? And God ruins it by saying to Gideon, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now this really upsets Gideon. It really upsets him. Because he does that thing. You know that thing where people say, um, um, I don't want to offend you, but. Or don't take this the wrong way. And you're like, right. Definitely going to be taking this the wrong way. And I'm probably going to be offended at the end of it. You know that moment where people sort of, they try and, if, if, if I say it in a nice way, it's like I'm not being really rude. Yeah? It, it, 
Happens in Hayfield. Probably doesn't happen in Lewis. Um, and so this is what Gideon, this is what Gideon starts to do uh, to God. And interestingly, he uses exactly the same phrase, phrase that Moses uses when God says to Moses, go and speak to Pharaoh. He says, pardon me, uh, Lord. And then is very, very rude. And you can understand why Gideon is very rude. He says, where have you been? Where have you been? Where have you been, Lord? Do you not see the circumstances I'm in? Do you not see the circumstances my people are in? And God turns up and says to him, mighty warrior. And Gideon is in a cave hiding. Don't you hate it when God says stuff to you that you don't feel? So Gideon did not feel like a mighty warrior. When you're hiding in a cave... It's like, that, uh, it's like that famous World War II poster. Daddy, what did you do in the war? I hid in a cave. Not the, not, the, not the hero's answer. So Gideon doesn't feel like a mighty warrior. And God turns up and he says, mighty warrior. And Gideon is rude back to him. There's a, the, the dialogue is just amazing. And Gideon begins to, begins to sort of tell God off. He begins to uh, give God an explanation. Look, look, I don't know if you know, but the circumstances are not what you thought they were. You obviously thought I was someone else or don't know me properly or aren't, uh, you haven't been reading uh, the local newspapers and you aren't aware that we are being crushed by the Midianites. And you must not be aware of who I am. You must not be aware that my family is the least important family in this area, that we are of the smallest clan, not to mention I'm hiding in a cave. So Gideon begins to school God. We do that, don't we? God says something. I do, I, let's not say we. I, I do that. So God says something about me, or he says something about my life, or he says something... Uh, even, even from scripture, you know, you're an adopted son. And you, and you have a little dialogue in your mind where you think, I don't feel like an adopted son. Or, if only you knew the circumstances that I'm in at the moment. We have these really interesting little dialogues with God where we're sort of telling him off. God is actually like this. You may think it's like that. But it's actually like this. And what God is doing is God, is God is helping Gideon to surrender on the page in front of us. And I do feel sorry for Gideon because how many people thousands of years later have this moment written in front, have guys talking about it up and down, up and down the world for hundreds and hundreds of years. We've all, been, we've all been in this moment, but poor Gideon gets to be the example. And we can be exactly the same as Gideon, can't we? We can be squirming and we can be explaining. You know, me talk to people about Jesus. I'm not an evangelist. Me read my Bible... I am not an academic Lord. Me pray for the sick, I'm not Jesus. Me give money, I'm not insane. Me sing, shout, praise, raise my hands physically and worship, praise my heart, pray, raise my hands, speak normally whilst I'm preaching, uh, <laughs> express myself physically in worship, in worship. It's not me, I'm not like that. You don't know me, Lord. I'm not that kind of person. That's not how I operate. And it's at that moment we have a choice. We have a choice. 
We have a choice to surrender to God on one hand and what he says about us and we have a choice to surrender to fear. Gideon has a choice. There's like this tearing moment for Gideon. And I think it's fear that's holding Gideon back because I think it's fear that holds us back. You know, Gideon wanted to be a warrior. He wanted to be a warrior. He wanted to be a mighty warrior. Like he lived in a, in a society where warriors were, um, were like the heroes of the day. Uh, he would have he grown up with stories of, of warriors and, and great exploits. And he was living in a land that is oppressed by a military force. So you cannot tell me that Gideon would not have wanted to be a mighty warrior. It's that moment. That's exactly, what, that's exactly what he would have wanted to be. And actually, I think often God has spoken things over our lives and they're the things that we want to be. We want to be those things. You know, perhaps you've had a prophetic word, perhaps a piece of scripture has spoken to you and you know in your heart of hearts, this is who I want to be. And yet fear puts its icy hand around our heart and it grips us and leaves us in indecision and inaction. We remain paralysed. I'm going to tell you that God knows you better than you know yourself. I'm going to tell you God knows Gideon better than than he knew himself you know, we read the Bible with hindsight, don't we? So we know that Gideon's going to rush out, that it's all going to go well. Gideon did not know that. We make a choice. We make a choice whether we are going to surrender to fear or whether we are going to surrender to God. You know, God has got plans for your life. He has saved you and cleansed you for a purpose, for an amazing purpose. It's whether we let fear speak uh, whether we let fear write our story or whether we let God write our story. So we're going to jump down to verse 24 and we're going to see what Gideon does. So Gideon uh, built an altar to the Lord there and called it the Lord is peace. To this day day it stands in Oprah of the Ebezerites. That same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height. Use the wood of the Asherah pole that you have cut down. Offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. In the morning when the people got up, there was Baal's altar demolished and the Asherah pole beside it cut down and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. They asked each other, who did this? When they carefully investigated, they were told Gideon, son of Joash, did it. The people of the town demanded of Joash, bring out your son, he must die because he's broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. But Joash replied to the the hostile crowd around him, are you going to plead Baal's case? Are you going to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is God, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So Gideon broke down Baal's altar. They gave him the name Jerubal, that day, saying, let Baal contend to him, contend with him. So what does Gideon do? And I'm going to finish now. 
he does something. He does something. He acts. He doesn't go with his feelings. He doesn't let fear paralyze him. He acts. He takes steps. You know, choosing to surrender to God looks like something. It looks like something. When we choose to surrender our lives to him, it looks like something. It starts maybe in our hearts or it starts in our mind or it starts as we read the Bible, but actually it works its way out into the physical. It looks like something. It looks like what you do with your time. It looks like what you do with your money. It looks like, like Gideon, Gideon doesn't get over it. He's not, he's not a courageous mighty warrior. He doesn't stand in the square and say, let's tear down the Asherah pole and let's destroy the altar. They go at night. They go at night because he's scared. But he makes a move. He makes a step. He goes in the right direction. You know, God knows you and he loves you. He's not calling you to things that you can't do through his power. He's calling you to things that you can do through his power. So I'd encourage you, take the steps. So if God has called you, I don't know, if God has called you to write a book, begin to write anything. If God has called you to be, to lead worship, begin to write songs, begin to sing. If God's called you to preach, begin to uh, Begin to read your Bible. <laughs> if God has called you to talk to people about him, don't be the person who says, at the week, who says when people ask them what they did at the weekend, oh, I did nothing or I had a nice time. Be the person who says, hey, I went to church. God calls us to surrender our lives. He calls us to action. And he calls us to that because he wants to pour his love and his life into you. He is the good gift giver. And he stands ready to give gifts to men and women who will surrender their lives to him. And he wants to paint an outrageous story with your life. He wants to do something amazing for each and every person in this room. I'm... uh, going to pray and then something else is going to happen <laughs> Lord yeah Lord I thank you Father that you give us men like Gideon that you show us weak and inconsistent men and women like us Lord in your word and I thank you that you love us and that you have a plan for us Lord we just want to again surrender our lives to you surrender our lives to your truth surrender our lives to your purposes Lord, I just bless this great church in your name, Lord. I thank you for them, Lord. And I I just pray that you would have your hand on each and every person here. I pray each and every person here will begin to walk in your purposes and your amazing picture for their lives. Amen. I'm just really feeling, God, there's a response that we need to do with this. I think it's always good to hear the Bible talk taught but I also feel sometimes there's moments where God is speaking specifically to individuals and there's a moment we need to catch and I really felt in my heart as we were listening to Marcellus teaching the Bible I think this is a moment I'd like you just to close your eyes if you haven't already please and I'm going to ask some specific people to respond I'm not going to obviously name you but 
These are people that you know God is speaking to you. Maybe he's been speaking to you beforehand about certain things. Maybe the message that Marcellus brought from the Bible has reinforced that in you. Or maybe you were completely unaware and as he was speaking, some of these things came to you. But I believe there's three groups of people who need to respond. I'm going to tell you what they are and I want you to decide in your heart you're going to go for it. You're going to surrender to God in it. The first group that I feel need to respond is people who, just as Mars was saying, you've actually not been faithful in a specific aspect of discipleship. There's something that God just calls all his people to do, whether it's giving or or praying or the Bible or sharing your faith or part of a church or whatever it is. But you know, there's 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 a concrete thing. Actually, God's calling you today to surrender and be faithful in that aspect of living the Christian life. There's the first group. The second group is, is a very different group. It's a group where you feel God has spoken to you at some point, perhaps even in the distant past, about a specific calling he's asking you to do. Not something he calls everyone to do, but something he's calling you to do. Whether it is to you know, be an evangelist, whether it's to be involved in church planting, whether it's involved in sharing a gospel overseas, whether it's to, to share your faith with a specific individual, whether it's something to do with your work or a relationship. But you know God's called you to do it and you've not gone with it. You've, for whatever reason, fear, you've, you've held off. And I believe today is a day where you need to surrender to God and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for it. I'm going to accept what you've spoken over me. And the third group of people is that you've been listening to this, maybe even listening to the whole morning. You wouldn't call yourself a Christian. You, you wouldn't say, I've had that story written over my life. And God wants to speak to you and say, no, I'm, today I'm going to write the story over your life. Today's the day when you, you need to give your life to God through Jesus and become a Christian. So there's three very specific groups. I believe that God is speaking and God is going to change lives today as we respond to him. The way I'd like to do it is this. Normally as a church, we're very, very privacy kind of conscious. We don't like people to feel embarrassed. But I really feel strongly that if you're in one of those three groups, whilst everyone else has got their eyes closed, I'd like to ask you to stand up now as a specific sign that I'm responding to God. I'm not going to give in to fear. I'm going to respond to what God is asking me to do. So if that's you, any of those three groups, please stand up right now. If you're not standing up, keep your eyes closed. And for the one or two people who are still sitting with their hearts hammering inside their chests because they're too scared to stand up, please stand up now. Please respond to God. Please surrender to him in whatever way he's speaking to you about right now. And while everyone else is, is, is busy inside their own heads, if you're standing... I want you to pray in your heart, pray in your mind and tell God you have decided today I'm surrendering in that area. I will do what you're calling, what you're asking me to do. If it's to give your life to Jesus, I want you to pray and say that I'm sorry for living my life without you, God. I'm going to follow you and give my whole life to you and surrender everything. I'm going to give you a moment in silence as you stand there solely before God. No one else is looking to to pray and do business with God.
And as you're standing, let God continue to speak to you. I don't believe he's finished. He's highlighted something. But there's more he wants to speak to you even now as you're standing before him. Those that are sitting, let's just bear with this for a while and let God work. If you're still standing, let God speak more into your heart about what he's calling you, about the picture he's painting over your life. Father God, we thank you so much. You are the good gift giver. We thank you so much. Everything we do is based on who you are. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. We brought you into this land. You're the God who sent your son Jesus to suffer and die and rise from the dead. To bring us into glory. I pray for every individual surrendering again to you today. Or for the first time, I pray God you would meet them where they're at. You give them the courage, as Gideon, to, to, to walk through their fears into being a mighty warrior for you. We pray, Jesus, that you would take these very personal, very real sacrifices and weave them into the beautiful tapestry that you are making out of these lives. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Could I just ask everyone to stand now, please, if you're happy to do so. The band can come up, please. That would be really super helpful. If you, uh, if you responded and stood, I really believe God is here and done some business in your heart today. I really believe that this is not just a... I felt so strongly inside that this was God wanting to work and act. And I, I would encourage you to share, share perhaps what you felt with, with someone you trust here. But... And to, and to act on what you've done. But we're, we're, we're just going to finish. I believe it would just be so good for all of us to just if, if just sing again. God, we give, we give you our lives. We, we surrender everything to you. An expression of even if there's nothing specific that God's put on your, your mind. A Christian life is a life that says, God, I give it all to you. You are everything to me. You're the center because of what you've done. And I'd love us just to sing a a response to that. Have you got a song for that?